there's a gap there. And so right there, it needs to be bridged because that uh, evening I was feeling so much anger. I could not speak to anyone for almost two days. Mike, I'm so sorry. I'm going to put you on mute for a second up until all this goes by. This is Food at a Radio is all dressed up and has no place to go. An atrocity happens in one American city and sets off fires in cities all over America. But it could have just as easily been one of the similar incidents that have happened here in Chicago. And what took place over the last week and a half didn't just happen in a city. It happened in neighborhoods, in many different parts of the city. In this episode, I talked to two of my favorite restaurateurs in two very different parts of the city, which were, nevertheless, places where the events of the last 10 days happened. The first is Connie Sims Kincaid, who owns Five Loaves Eatery, a beloved soul food place on 75th Street, which calls itself the Black Magnificent Mile for its variety of African-American-owned food businesses, including Lem's Barbecue and Brown Sugar Bakery. I wrote about Five Loaves Eatery a few years ago in a piece entitled Meet the Nicest Restaurant in Chicago and the Family Behind It. I spoke to Connie Sims Kincaid as she was driving home from the restaurant one night last week. So, uh, prior to the whole virus thing, we had gotten a grant uh, from the city. So, we were planning on actually, you know what, expanding and mainly, especially the dining room. So, all of this was like in the works. It was in the works, full force, full speed ahead. So, fast forward. To the week of all of this breaking out and going on, okay? <laughs> so that week, my daughter was actually coming home, uh, California. Uh, she has been there uh, now for, you know, six years now, okay? Graduated and everything from college and everything. So I was pretty excited about that. I was excited because I was like, okay, cool. She is going to start helping us with the business as well. Well, all of her flights were canceled that week, basically, and I was at home getting ready for her to come. And my mind was so much on everything that was going on, Mike, that I had the worst fall because there was no cleaning stuff for your floors. And I wind up using Mr. Bubbles instead of the regular cleaning stuff because there was nothing available. All of the stores were sold out. And that was actually my first real, like, thing of saying, wait a minute, something is really going on here. Because, like, like, the shelves are bare of toilet tissue, of cleaning supplies. I was like, what is going on here? So I had the worst fall, and that put me on my butt almost three weeks. I could not go into work for three weeks. My daughter actually finally uh, got here, and she was, like, able to help me. But I got to tell you, Mike, since then, I have been self-taught. I've been learning so much with all of the webinars, the Zoom calls, uh, her like teaching me about social media, all of that. But that whole thing, at first, it wiped me out for three weeks because it was just overwhelming. 
It was so overwhelming, especially the main thing that really hit me hard and that let me really, really know that this thing is so serious. I was sitting there and I was watching the news and the first time of me hearing that 900 people had passed, I think that it was in um, Italy. And I just sat there and I'm not even one of those people that cry a lot, but I just cried like a baby. I was like, oh my God, this is, this is not even real. And I wanted to just go and lay down and wake back up and like, be like, Oh, okay. You know what? I was having a, a nightmare, but no, like the nightmare was real. You've been doing takeout this whole time, right? Yes. Uh, we had to relearn how to do takeout though, because takeout is one thing, but doing takeout with these services, delivery services is a whole nother ball game. See, prior to all of this happening, we did not have that. We had phone-in. We had mainly dine-in, mainly dine-in. Uh, we had dine-in. Then we had some catering. And then that was basically it. And takeout, of course. But we did not use those services at, at the time because I kept saying, like, I'm like, we're such a small kitchen, Um that, you know, would dine in and then those services, that that would just be like overwhelming for us. Well, even minus the dine in, it was still at first very overwhelming for us. We're just now starting to catch it. Yeah. <laughs> because I tell you, like those tickets were coming in like boom, 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 boom. Because prior to that, Mike, my sales had dipped 87%. So I had to go with those services. Do you feel good about how your food travels that way? Because I think of like breakfast stuff to me does not particularly travel well. Oh, I hate how waffles travel. <laughs> I hate it, um, especially for Waffle Wednesday, which we have always done. And people still seem to want the bacon cheddar waffle with the chicken. But, you know, I tell like, I tell my uh, people, please warn them, you know, maybe you might not want to order a waffle because this does not travel well. That is one of the main things that I just hate to even box up. And I'm like, do they really want this? You know, <laughs> I'm like, really? <laughs> Are they sure? You know, so like there's there are certain items that I'm just like, oh, like I don't want to like sell that. I really don't, you know, but people seem to still love it. And I'm like, really? Okay. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. We've, we've thought about just coming down there, getting it, and then driving to the nearest park and just eating right there. Or just, yeah. you know, <laughs> that's the only thing that makes sense. That's um, the only thing that makes sense. Yeah. So what does travel well? What do you feel good about? Okay. So I can think of when I was a kid, and my dad would take us to the Dells. He would always fry chicken and wrap it up in foil. And that was the best treat yeah. on a long car trip. So I would say still the fried chicken is still a treat to travel well. And then, too, uh, you know what? The uh, shrimp and grits, those travel very well. Those travel very well. They're still hearty. They're still plump. They're still hot. So because the grits are so hot, yeah, I uh, think that that's probably why. Um, so the chicken and that whole like menu with the grits and everything, because now like we have like a whole like 
you know, like I'm and grit menu. So we have like, you know, um, so we have shrimp and grits, catfish and grits, salmon patty and grits, salmon patty and shrimp and grits. So all of those travel very well. And then, you know, uh, see some of the other items I'm like, uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'll like, yeah, I'm like, uh, I'm like, you know what? If you live like within 10 minutes of us or 15 minutes of us, maybe like two miles, then you're good. But any further than that, I'm just like a little concerned about it. I am. I get a, a little concerned. Were you able to keep all your staff? At first, uh, I was not. At first, uh, I went to, like, really only using family there because family, you know, you can sometimes not necessarily pay them. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so, basically, I went for two weeks. I tried to keep people full force because, mind you, Mike, I was still, I mean, I was on crutches. Okay. So, there was nothing for me to do there. Um, so, I had to keep them. And that really, like, really, like, made me dig a hole, to be honest with you. Because here I am keeping everybody, and I'm not seeing what exactly is going on there because my leg was hurt so bad. So I was just like, uh, I'm digging a huge hole right now. So by week three, week four, I started saying, okay, I can't do this anymore. I got to wind up making some changes here. So I had to go mainly family. There were six areas in the city that were going to have outdoor dining and 75th street there was one of them. Although I guess you were slightly outside the area, mm -hmm. but what were your plans for when that started up again? Since the Chatham community is still a pretty hot spot for COVID. I don't think that a lot of people know where to go to get testing, things like that, even though it is posted. I don't get like that, but it's still kind of a hot spot. And I have to be careful because I have a pregnant girl working there for me. I have someone um, uh, that, let's see her, uh, Jerry had cancer last year. So I have some people that I got to be real cautious about. And then also a lot of our customers are older customers, our older uh, clientele. So to be honest with you, I, I, I really was not planning on rolling with, okay, well, you know what? The government says to open up, let's open up. No, I was planning on still sticking with until phase three and four comes along, you know, but mainly four because I just, I'm, I'm still cautious. I'm still very cautious about, you know, because everybody now, I'm telling you, like every place I've been, people are like, taking their masks off talking to you they're standing close to you like it's like hello like why were we just like you know like i'm in the house so long i don't know um but for us so i'm gonna keep it as is up until they actually say hey you guys can open up your restaurant it's a lot better numbers going on now all right so then um as everybody down your street anyway is looking at potentially opening up some of their outside seating. Then we had the whole business with the protests and everything that followed. Tell me, tell me how that happened as, as you lived through it. Okay. So first of all, even if I did want uh, the uh, seating outside, 
I have a bus stop that I've been uh, asking uh, a few people to please remove from my front business. But I would love a patio, you know, like I'm in the future anyway. Okay, so I was a little salty about that. I was like, "Eh, I wanted my bus stop moved a long time ago. So, (laughs) So that was number one. Number two was, was that this whole protest thing happened. Protests versus looters. Because the protest is one thing, the looters is another. I don't put those two things together. I know that some people do. I'm sorry, but I don't. That was a whole other thing. Although Five Lows was not, was not hit, but the surrounding areas were. And for me, if you have a neighborhood that is boarded up, it brings a sense of depression to the neighborhood. So I don't know how that's going to look in the future. Uh, you know, like as far as like this week goes, because there are, are some places that's boarded up. Uh, I did personally ask some businesses, please, to not board their windows. The ones that, you know, that were fine. Um, I asked them not to board them. Because um, also, you know, uh, for the businesses that were not hit, I think that if we start boarding up, uh, the people that could have hit us would be like, what the hell are they doing? You know, so like, it's a lot of thought that was put into, okay, should we board up? Should we not board up? You know, what do we do next? And that first uh, day back, which would have been Tuesday, uh, I woke up and I was very heavy hearted. I was tearful again over everything that I saw on the news, um, the neighborhood jewels. Uh, I saw looters coming out of there myself. Um, I had tried to uh, call, you know, uh, in and things like that. The lines were not being answered. I was also in a very dark place. I was not sure um, whether or not they would actually, you know, like break in my windows. I was not sure about anything leaving um, work that evening. I was not sure because I knew that they were close. I knew that the looters were close. Um, People had video um, that were working. It scared my employees. Um, as a matter of fact, some of my staff, uh, they don't want to come back until Saturday. Yesterday, I decided that I was not going to open for business, that I would go and feed the people that were cleaning up in the area. So we did uh, breakfast, uh, biscuit sandwiches and potatoes and grits yesterday for those people. So we had like, uh, 200 sandwiches yesterday or whatever. So that's what I did yesterday. Um, now, the thing is, is that we're already in a hole. We got the grant, okay? But the thing is, is that um, the grant only really covered two payrolls. And I'm about to go into my third right now. And I think that what the problem was, um, normally I have servers. So now... I have more people that I need for Grubhub, Uber Eats, things like that, in order to get those orders out. My sales, I'm giving a a large portion of my sales to 
these companies, but yet my labor has gone up. Right. I really got to decide what it is that I'm going to do. Am I going to move forward with like going larger? You know, at this particular time, I don't want to take out a loan, especially with the climate of the country. I'm just not sure right now. And I think a lot of business owners feel like I'm just not sure. And in terms of the the night that there was looting and, and things like that, tell me what you feel about the atmosphere, about how people who were breaking into stuff or whatever. I mean, what, how do you feel about all that? Okay, well, I have I have changed my mind somewhat because at first I was very angry. I was extremely angry because I did not understand how come people that are in the community would take away from their community. I did not understand that. Now, the anger part of it, I understand how come there's anger against against not feeling equal, against the constant, constant, constant brutality. I understand all of that. But I also, I would have liked for it to be handled differently and not the looting. As far as the marches go, I'm all for that. And I think that more people would have joined the marches if they weren't so afraid of all of that other stuff happening in addition. Now, I've been to several Zoom meetings since then. I've been to several, several, several like neighborhood meetings, all of that. And there were younger people there because I think that sometimes that there's a large gap between the youth and the older people that own businesses. Um, you know, I have a family member that like was trying to tell me that, you know, that the looting was necessary. And I'm like, how is it necessary? Like, would you like someone to break into your home and come in and take everything you have worked for all your life? Would you like that? Because that's really what it, it all comes down to. And her answer to me was, well, is the things that you have more important to you than a human life? And I said, one has nothing to do with the other to me, because the thing is, is that those are two different situations. The human life is very, very, very important, and I understand that. But there is a certain way to get your point across. But I guess that the youth feel like they have already done so much to get their point across, and then they're looking at history where the marches, yeah, the marches work somewhat, but how come we are still in the situation where there is an unbalance going on and there's still racism going on? So the youth feels this way. You know, um, now, now not all youth, of course, I'm not going to say that because my daughters feel completely different, you know, but the reason is, is because they, they, they have seen the blood, sweat and tears literally from their parents with the business. And believe you me, Mike, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, you know, I mean, I completely get that, you know, George Floyd, uh, Floyd's life. And the other uh, people who have lost their lives to these um, officers that had no type 
no type of respect for life in general, I understand that. And I understand the anger. So I think that there's such a gap that needs to be bridged where we can start actually understanding one another, because even in our own uh, neighborhoods and even us as a whole, there's, there's a gap there. And so right there, it needs to be bridged because that uh, evening I was feeling so much anger. I could not speak to anyone for almost two days. And I had a lot of uh, girlfriends that were feeling that way. So I was feeling a lot of anger, but I understand and I'm not going to um, say that the way that someone else feels is not valid. Because I think that that's part of the problem is that we don't validate one another's feelings and uh, the way that a person feels in general, we don't validate that uh, white, black, whatever. We're not validating that, you know, if something's wrong, how do we handle this? Uh, On another note, um, when I was out passing out breakfast sandwiches yesterday, um, I was expecting the worst. I was like, because prior to that, on Sunday night driving home, I was seeing what was going on. And I was like, oh, my God, this is this is going to be like over on the west side in the 60s. And where this had such a bad, um, such a bad impact on that complete community for years and decades. And I was thinking like, oh my God, this is just gonna, this is gonna be so horrible. I mean, the South side was finally starting to kind of like, you know, like regroup some and there were things happening and there was growth and there had been seeds planted and all of this stuff. And like, I just was feeling so just like, oh my God, this is horrible. But getting out there in the neighborhood, driving in these different areas that I had heard on the news was just being trashed. It was fires going on, all this kind of stuff. Getting out there and going and feeding the cleanup crews, I was encouraged because they did such a good job, number one. And it was, you know what, not only people from our community coming, It was people from outside of our community and they were showing that they cared and it was people that lived there that showed that they cared enough to come out and clean up their community. Ethan Lim grew up around his parents' Chinese restaurant in the Hermosa neighborhood on the west side. Think west of Logan Square, where Spanish is still the dominant language, not hipster. When his parents' restaurant got too dilapidated, they built a new building on the spot for both he and his sister to open restaurants in. He opened a fast food stand called Hermosa about five years ago. But Ethan, who worked in fine dining for a number of years, including as a host at Next, is a tinkerer. Before coronavirus, he was one of this year's bright new restaurant finds, even though it wasn't new-new, thanks to the sandwiches he invented using Asian flavors. And now he's offering takeout meals of the Cambodian food he grew up on. I spoke to Ethan as he drove in to work from his home in Kenosha. What's interesting to me, besides the events of the last few days, is just how you became sort of the food media restaurant sensation of the moment when there are no restaurants. 
<laughs> a lot of people, I think, have this idea of that you're like bringing hope by proving that the restaurant scene isn't, you know, moribund in this in this uh, experience that something weird and wonderful can still happen here. So how did you become something weird and wonderful here? I think maybe it's just our philosophy, you know, from our family. Um, but Fuge's food has always been like, I don't want to overuse the word, but it's comfort and it's refuge for us. And I think it should be for a lot of people. I feel like a lot of restaurants that's been open the past couple years, there seems to be a bit of a disconnect in terms of comfort for the diners and for the guests. You know, it's very, it's more of a showpiece. You know, it's very, oh, how, how would I make this Instagram worthy? Or um, it's more of a platform, more of a theater. And I think it's nice to, to just be reminded that, you know, we can still cook really, really good food, kind of get back to basics and really capture, go back to what, why we do cook. Well, in terms of basics, I mean, you, you basically open Hermosa as, as a hot dog stand, you know, or a typical kind of fast food stand. And I don't know how long before you started sort of tinkering with that, would you say? Well, I definitely tinkered it from right from the start. Um, you know, when I was, the menu offerings were was not your typical hot dog hamburger stand. When I opened, I did a, a corn dog, which was an elotes on a hot dog um, that I charred. So, like, I've always played with food. I've always played with mixing flavors together and having a creative side to it. When I first opened, the hot dog and hamburgers was, you know, that was the focal piece, and that's what a lot of people craved in the neighborhood. So that was an easy go-to. I think the past year and a half, um, people have been drawn more to the creative side of what I'm doing. So I've expanded on that more. Well, let's talk about, like, yeah, some of the sandwiches that you do. I mean, this is what really got everybody excited to kind of find your place, you know, to make the new find of a place that had been there for five years by this point. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, you you were doing, coming out of your own heritage, which is, I don't know, what would you call it, Cambodian Chinese, and that you're ethnically Cambodian, but... Uh, vice versa. Ethnically Chinese, uh, but my family... Other way around, sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, we're, my parents and all my siblings older than me uh, were born in Cambodia. Um, my grandparents came from China, various other parts. So, like, our food is a large marriage of that. There's definitely a strong Chinese influence with the technique uh, and ingredients and the flavors. Uh, but there's certain things that are very hyper-regional, too. Um, there's definitely a lot of parallel flavors in Vietnamese and Thai cuisine uh, and Laotian cuisine too. Um, I would say, I would best characterize that there is a bit more funk um, in terms of the ingredients, a lot more kind of fermented fish usage and, you know, seafood and things of that sort. So definitely a little bit more funk here. 
Now, how did your neighborhood, I mean, again, Hermosa, a mostly Latino neighborhood these days, how did, you know, how have they taken to this stuff? Are they going in there craving, you know, the those kind of shrimp paste flavors or things like that? Um, I think it's finally a balance in the flavor. I think that there's a lot of similar flavor profiles in Mexican cuisine and Southeast Asian cuisine. There's a lot of citrus, you know, limes and herbs, very similar herbs with mint and things of that sort, cilantro. Allium is used quite a bit, you know, with onions and shallots and green onions. So I think in terms of the raw flavors, people are accustomed to it. Um, and spice and heat level, the neighborhood loves it. So I think it's just introducing other profiles at a more balanced level so it doesn't throw them off. Um, and they've been really receptive to that. And then you started doing, most recently, the Cambodian dinners, which I have so far failed to be fast enough on the trigger to get to try, <laughs> but I, I assume my day will come. Um, sure. Tell me... I mean, it, to some extent, that seems like something you decided to do because the way we're all dining now in the coronavirus era makes it possible. You know, a lot of people are doing family meals yeah. in a way that's different from here's an 895 sandwich. You know, gourmet sandwiches, there's always going to be a place in it. Uh, it's definitely not going away on my menu. If I can offer guests a more filling offering, um, and be able to still stay true to what I do, I think that is a better direction. So with the Cambodian to-go menu, I feel that, you know, originally I wanted to do it as a pop-up over the weekend, but, you know, it's difficult to kind of pull that off when you're quarantined. Um, so I feel this is uh, a good direction to be able to give somebody a full plate, plate of different things to try without just pigeonhole them to you know, singular sandwich. Well, yeah, so describe what the offerings are. I have two noodle dishes on the menu. One is a number jock, um, which is a fish gravy, very herbaceous uh, noodle soup uh, with vermicelli with noodles. Um, and the other is mikula. It's like a chilled uh, rice noodle salad with pickled cucumbers, uh, dried shrimp that I turn to like a shrimp powder. Um, so it's sweet, it's savory, it's salty, um, and it's there's this like acidic bite from the pickled cucumbers and a lot of textures going on in that. Noodles is always kind of comfortable. It's those are like classic street food offerings uh, that you'll find all over the place in Phnom Penh. That's kind of featured on the menu. And the meal for two, one of my favorite things that my mom makes is a uh, pickled mango salad with shrimp. Um, I've kind of take that and elevate a little bit with grilled shrimp, pickle mangoes, a shrimp paste dressing uh, with a bunch of herbs. Herbs is very, very prevalent in, um, in Cambodian cuisine. That's with like everything else in that region. So there's a ton of that. You're going to have a lot of Thai basil, fish mints. Um, it's all across the board. Um, and the main course offering is a play on the kind of throwback to the French past of Cambodia uh, when it comes to culture and things of that sort. So it's Cambodian steak frites 
uh, with the garlic aioli and the sauce is um, which is fermented fish that gets roasted with a, the traditional gurung paste that's also roasted as well. Um, and it kind of gets blitzed up, finished off with a bunch of herbs to give this funky profile that goes great with meat and kanji. That's how we would normally eat it at home. Kanji gets topped up with uh, chickens that have been shredded and I turn to like a chicken floss. Um, normally you would find pork floss in the market that I feel is really bland and it doesn't have a great texture to it. Um, so kind of took that and up the game with uh, chicken thighs. So, and kanji is basically, it's a kind of porridge made with rice mm -hmm. and it's yeah. a kind of uh, blank canvas that you can do a lot of things to. Uh, oh, yeah. Took me a long time of being given it in restaurants to realize I was supposed to do something with it. And it wasn't just, wow, they, people really like this bland thing for some reason. Exactly. And, like, I think most people's, the way they they get acquainted with kanji is that dim sum. Right. Usually with that, it's here's your bowl of kanji with maybe the thousand-year-old egg, maybe with some fish, and here's some green onions to go with it. Um, and there's just so many ways for us as to how we eat it. Um, you know, very so many different toppings and to create this different texture to it. Otherwise, it's just porridge. So how have people, I mean, are people in the neighborhood, are they ordering this stuff or is this just for kind of the foodies who found you online? Is it the online neighborhood that's buying it? Um, the So I launched it last week and the neighborhood was, um, was first on the list. They actually reached out um, to order it. Uh, it's been, they loved it. Okay. Um, so, yeah. And, which is kind of a nice feeling. <laughs> <laughs> you know, as foreign as, I mean, the flavors and ingredients for Cambodian food is very familiar for a lot of people uh, when you look at, that, when you look at it on paper. Um, but just being labeled as, you know, this is Cambodian food, it's foreign enough at the same time that people are curious as to how is this different my parents and all my siblings they're like well you think it's too funky are people <laughs> not gonna like it people like thai food people like vietnamese food why should they not like cambodian food too and even then cambodian food always had most asian food from that region right if you look at various different thai restaurants and vietnamese restaurants they will offer it with the backbone of chinese dishes so that people are familiar with it you go to a Thai restaurant and you see cashew chicken on the menu or more of a stir-fry basil dish versus pakapao. People are more familiar with, oh, seeing visually these greens and the method. Um, so it's not completely too foreign for them. Now, your sister, who has the restaurant next to yours, Gugu's Table, she had had yeah. some Cambodian things on the menu. What was, mm -hmm. what did she offer? Um, she has a, uh, more of stuff that you, you would sit down and have with rice. Um, with the exception of one of the curry noodles that's on the dish. She has salamajou grung, which is like a sour herbal soup and a lemongrass stir-fried with chicken. So basically the entirety of Cambodian food in Chicago is contained within one building in two different restaurants. <laughs> there in, yeah. Her in Hermosa. 
Exactly. <laughs> By the same family. <laughs> yeah. Within the community, and definitely amongst friends of mine, we've been talking for quite some time, and it's like, why isn't there any Cambodian food around? And I think, you know, when our family first moved here in the 80s, there was a strong Cambodian population here in Chicago. A lot of them have moved away, uh, still within the Midwest region, but quite a few have moved to the suburbs, surrounding suburbs in Chicago, uh, to Wisconsin, to Michigan. So the market was there, but I don't, it was not, it was slowly getting away from Chicago. And I feel, you know, well, let's try it. Let's see how it goes. Being in Hermosa there, the neighborhood, you had always, I mean, I guess for you, it's kind of like just where you grew up in the family business. So, you know, I assume you've always just had a comfort level with that neighborhood. Yeah. It was definitely easy for us to, for me to break the ice. You know, as soon as I say that, oh yeah, my parents had the restaurant here. It's like the walls break down and they get disarmed and, you know, they feel a lot more comfortable stepping to, to the place and opposed to this new person stepping in. Um, Cause the truth is like, I left, I grew up there, but up until the point when I opened for easy time, 15 years, I was not really part of the neighborhood. Um, and when that couple with the new building going up, the original structure went down and now you have this, you know, modernized structure with comic books and, you know, all this big change. Everyone's like, Oh no, there's a new guy that's coming. We're just over here. We're here making the place better. So, well, yeah. So tell me how you reacted when the, uh, you know, all the lockdown stuff happened. Oh, uh, I think we recognized that something of magnitude was going to happen. When COVID first happened, it was very regional. Uh, it was regional to how SARS was. Um, and I kind of reflect and looked into SARS as to the impact of the region. Immediately that dawned on me was that SARS was like a two-year process, you know, before um, it was from 2002 to 2004, off time ahead. You know, I recall the years, right? But it was like a two-year process. So I was like, all right, well, this is going to be another long-term medical issue. And when it started to expand outside of the territories that, that SARS impacted, when it you know, went to Europe and when Italy started to crack down, went to real lockdown, then it became a concern. And a week before... Chicago went into shelter in place. Oak Park went into shelter in place. When that happened in our backyard, it really pressed for us to put thought into, okay, let's rationalize our emotions. Let's figure out what we need to do. Us as a family met together and started um, put systems into place as to how can we mitigate this as much as possible. Uh, fortunately for us, our business is very diversified where we have a mix of good dine-in uh, and carry-out business for pickup and delivery. And for me, you know, at the end of the day, I am a quick service restaurant. So the impact was not as drastic as some of my peers. And then we had the business of the protests that's, oh. that started this weekend. I mean, how did you, you, you know, you're a long ways from downtown, obviously. So at first it must have seemed like it didn't really have that much to do directly with you when the protests start happen i was at dinner service on saturday just wrapping up and it's like that's when i first heard of any protests that's going to happen and it 
start off as the intent was definitely to be peaceful, but as it escalated, you know, I, I think I was just reacting to it really live and at the moment. And when the looting and, you know, everything started to expand outside of downtown, we certainly paid more attention. I'm very active in the neighborhood forums through Facebook. I kept the live feed as updated as much as possible through what was going on through neighborhood, um, in the neighborhood through the forums. I guess when my brother called me on Monday, updating me of the incidents in the neighborhood, that's when things started to, uh, we started to get a sense of urgency that, you know, we should try to board up and protect the property. Uh, and then Monday night happened. <laughs> well, let's let's go back a second. So what were the, the incidents that your brother heard about? Uh, the PLS across the street, they were hit and the jewelry store, uh, about like five, six doors down from us, they were hit. Meaning people so, smashed the windows and took stuff or? Yeah. Yeah. And when I arrived in, when I arrived at the restaurant on Monday, you know, the jewelry store was completely boarded up. Uh, the larger mat next to it was boarded up. And then Monday night. Yeah. Monday night we were in the process of boarding up our front doors. We didn't have enough material for it. My brother finished boarding up my side, the front door. I was preparing food, um, just getting things ready for the next day. And my brother and his stepdaughter was next door, uh, boarding up their door. Um, and three shots was fired. Yeah. And one of them hit my window, and I was less than 10 feet away from it. So it's just a drive-by shooting? Um, there were... The community have... They've started patrolling themselves, uh, which is kind of nice to hear. Um, unfortunately, the uh, I think the members of the community that was patrolling were gang members th- that day in around that intersection. We had I had my shades down, so I wasn't sure. I, I didn't get a chance to see, to get a complete visual as to what happened. Next thing I knew was, you know, the outer panel of my window you got hit and shattered. So I'm sure part of it had to do with the gang activities at that moment. Yeah, it was a little bit definitely a chaotic evening because the uh, grocery store across the street, uh, someone tries to loot it as well that same night. So so fortunately, your double-pane window stopped it between the first one and the second one. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Has it been quiet since then? It's been quiet since. Um, it was really quiet last night at least in my intersection. When I was driving home last night, there was, you know, a fresh reminder that, oh, there's still a lot of stuff going on. You know, as I was about to enter the highway on Irving Park, um, there was, within 30 seconds, about 20 top cars completely blocking off the the entrance. So... Well, yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people are talking gloom and doom about the city now, that there are going to be certain areas that are just ruined by this, as happened back in the 60s. Um, yeah. I, it's hard to imagine Hermosa being that. It seems a pretty vibrant Latino neighborhood. But I don't know. What do you mm-hmm. think What do you think the impact is going to be? Um, I think for our neighborhood, I think we'll be fine. Um, I think the... The community itself, where we have a lot of pride in terms of making sure the neighborhood, you know, it's nice, it's clean. Um, it's very family focused of the neighborhood. So I don't think the doom and gloom of destruction 
um, is going to happen for us. I mean, the city's revitalizing infrastructure. Uh, there's construction that's going on on Fulton Avenue. So there's there's definitely improvement that's going on. Um, I don't I don't think we're gonna move away from improving the city for the neighborhood at least. But there's that uh, I can't I don't know the exact term of it, but you know there's that Japanese philosophy of when something is broken, you just kind of piece it back together and make it nicer. Um, and I think that's the direction that we just have to go with it right now. Um, yeah, they'll all we just got to make the best out of it. Thanks for listening to Food Eater Radio is all dressed up and has no place to go. And thanks to my guests, Connie Sims Kincaid and Ethan Lim. Music is by Kevin McLeod. Please subscribe to Food Eater Radio at the podcast app of your choice. And consider leaving a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts to help other people discover it too. Thanks. Thanks.